And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, then and now, brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter based in Toronto, Ontario. Welcome, Vitayu. I'm Pavlina, host of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio, with another feature interview on Ukrainian Jewish heritage. Dave Bloom is a member of the board of an organization dedicated to preserving the story of two Jewish communities and surrounding areas in Ukraine. One of them is called Drohobych and the other is called Borislav. Recently, a synagogue was restored in this area and Dave has kindly agreed to join us by Skype from his home in Israel to tell us about himself and about the project. So welcome, Dave. Thank you for joining us here. Thank you, Paulette. Thank you for having me on your show. Now, you live in Israel. Tell us just a little bit about your background, how you ended up on this project and and in Israel, because you speak perfect, almost unaccented English. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my personal story is that I was born in what is now Zimbabwe, and it was previously Rhodesia, and I came to live in Israel in 1973, and I've been here since then. Uh, I'm married with two children, and I've been always interested, fascinated in researching my roots. And it's actually my mother's side, my maternal grandparents, who were born in Borislav, which was one of the towns that we've mentioned. And um, my mother was born there as well, and they came here to Israel actually in 1920. Oh. Um, so my mother grew up in Israel, but I always had a fascination about the you know the, the story of, of those communities and where my grandparents came from. I've been back there a few times. It's a hobby of mine, and I'm on the board of this organization, which helps to preserve the stories of these two towns and the surrounding villages. There's um, a number of villages like Stri and Schodnitsa and Truskavitz in the region there, which we also try to preserve their stories. Fascinating. And so um, how we got connected on Facebook was, uh, it might have been something from Marla Rosher Osborne, who's been on our program talking about her restoration work in right. uh, Rohatin, which I think is pretty close right. to... Well, it's a bit further north. It's about an hour north of our area, yes. Okay. So uh, you have always been interested in your roots, and so... What connected us was this story about a restoration of a synagogue in Drohobych. Right. So tell us about that. Well, this, this synagogue, I mean, I've seen the synagogues on my visits over the last sort of 10 years, and it was in really sorry state. It was really a ruin of a building hmm. um, that had been basically destroyed during the Second World War. And, of course, when the Russians and, and the whole Russian control over Ukraine during those many years, which did not allow religious uh, activity, Mm -hmm. the building was left to basically ruin. Uh, I think at some stage it was used as a warehouse. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is a a very impressive building that was built in the 1860s. This was one of the largest synagogues in Galicia. Galicia was basically, as you know, a a large stretch uh, Mm -hmm. of land spanning what is now Poland and Ukraine. And there were about a million Jews in the area of Galicia in in the sort of early 19th and 20th centuries. And Drohovich, uh, I believe, had one of, I think, one of the, if not the largest, the largest synagogue in the area. So basically, in the, in the last, say, five years, with some generous donations, a refurbishment program started and and it came to fruition this week where we had a ceremony just yesterday, a very impressive ceremony, a somber ceremony in which several hundred people attended, both from Israel, from America, from the local communities, from Lviv, and basically re 
inaugurated this uh, wonderful building. The work has been fantastically done. It has all the infrastructure for the synagogue with the, the Ark and, and uh, Bima. Um, what's, what's that? That's where the rabbi normally stands, and that's where he, he prays from. Okay. Um, it's unlikely to be an active synagogue Aww. because there's very few Jews left in the city. But the plans are to turn it into a cultural center, into a learning center, into a museum. And we're hoping this will help to bring the story of, of the Jewish community that lived there for many hundreds of years, will help uh, to educate the local communities about the story of the Jewish community there. And um, we have plans ourselves. We've, we've done a couple of exhibitions. One of them was shown at the uh, event, the opening event telling the story of, of these communities. And uh, we hope it will be a vehicle for education, I think, basically, will be its, its main purpose. So tell us what actually happened to it that you had to restore. You had mentioned that it was um, a warehouse or just basically left neglected during the Soviet era. Right. And, of course, you know that right. was the fate of, of all churches and houses of worship uh, throughout the Soviet Union. Right. But what happened to the Jew, the community? We know that a lot of the Holocaust, we've been talking about this with uh, with Marla and, and others, Julia Krasinski of uh, Remember Us, you probably uh, are aware of, of that organization as well. Right. So a lot of people are getting back to their roots and, and are exploring what actually happened right. to their families? Most of the Holocaust took place by bullets in in that area, um, as much as, sure. as as in death camps. Although I was reading on your website yeah. that many of the residents of of Derhobich perished at, at Belzec, a notorious That's death right. camp. Yeah, That's correct. Uh, but the vast majority were tr- were sent by train to Belzec, which is um, you know so just a few hours a train ride. I've been there a couple of times. It's a, a really horrific uh, story. It was, it was a pure death camp. I mean, the people oh. came in and they were they were slaughtered as they arrived. Good Lord. Um, there is a site in in the, what's called the Bronitsha Forest outside Drohovich where uh, Jews were also taken and lined up and killed. And they, they had to dig the trenches first. Oh. And, and then uh, they were shot and they were buried in, in these trenches. This is a large memorial site now which has been preserved and uh, has been covered over and we visit there every year we do a memorial service there as well uh, so many thousands were killed in the forests around Drohovich and Borislav but the vast majority were taken by train on an industrial scale and, and murdered at Belzitz. Good Lord. How big was the community before the Holocaust? In 1939 uh, Drohovich was about 17,000 Jews and uh, Bojislav was about 14,000 Jews. Wow. And at the end of the war in 1945, approximately 550 survived in oh. Drohovich and about 350, 400 survived in Borislav. Wow. Wow. And I can just imagine the, the trauma. Indeed. And, and you know, what, what is, at least for us, inspiring is that we have been able to find a lot of these survivors many of whom came to Israel. And now when we have an annual memorial service, we have a thousand people attending and, and we see the children and grandchildren involved and connected. And, mm. and there is a feeling of a continuity, which is very inspiring. Yeah, and, and that's what was, what was meant to be destroyed, wasn't it? So, so Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, that, that's that's wonderful to hear. So how how did you hook up with uh, people in Drohobich? Was it just on a trip? I mean, you've got obviously a very strong connection because you're so so involved. <laughs> well, you know, we have over the years been in touch uh, as through our roots trips. We've had roots trips going back since the 1960s. Ah, so really? every yes, if you if you know, I'll I'll give you our website afterwards, and you can see mm. some of those recent more recent roots trips. That we have recorded. The earlier ones, unfortunately, were not well recorded, but there was always a relationship with the remnants of the community. Now, the remnants were very, very sparse. Uh, there was one famous gentleman by the name of Alfred Schreier, yes. who was a, a famous musician and a singer and a violinist, and he was kind of denoted as the last Jew of Drohovich. And I met him on a couple of occasions, and he was well-connected with our organization. Every time we came, we would connect with him. Unfortunately, he passed away a few a few years ago. But today, there are approximately 20 or 30 Jews in Drohovich, and most of them migrated there from Russia. They are not native to Drohovich, but most of them migrated and have established their lives in Drohovich for all kinds of reasons. Interesting. So, so very few of the original inhabitants actually have descendants there now. It's very few. I, I don't. We don't know of any actually. Yeah. Really? Wow! There. Wow! Yeah. So so it was yeah. wiped out. Amazing. You know. It was wiped out. Wow. Yeah. You know, Dave. I you know I've been hearing about. You know, we studied and fortunately, you know, people were uh, were smart enough in in the of the survivors of the Holocaust to get this story out, so people know about it now. And right. you know, there's some of the stories have almost become cliched about you know the the digging the trenches and stuff. And to talk to somebody who's actually there and right. at the site and and realizing it was their own relatives right and you there is what is this they say the six degrees of separation but it's really it's only only two right. isn't it absolutely it's a, it's a very emotional experience to be there and to experience it and to you know i've done a lot of interviews of holocaust survivors we have a kind of a project in our organization which is similar to the the famous spielberg project and we have approximately a hundred living survivors still in Israel that we are in touch with and we support and we interview. And, and some of them have written books and some of them. I have an uncle. Well, he's actually a, he was a cousin of my mother's, the first cousin of my mother's, who was a 14-year-old boy during the war. And he survived by living in the forest. He lived in the area of Borislav. Mm-hmm. They dug a cave and they they just lived like literally you know, just off the land and whatever they could do to survive. And he witnessed most of his family being slaughtered by the Germans. And he wrote a a book, which for me was very emotional. And it really brought for me a very personal connection to to that tragedy, which I had not had uh, growing up as a youngster in Africa. You know, that was was so far away for me. Um, So it's for me been a personal journey. And I, I feel that it's important to help others who want to uh, engage and, and explore their roots. That's one of the, the sort of the missions of our organization is to help people who wish to explore their roots and mm-hmm. to understand what a rich and vibrant community we had there. Yeah, and it's a, it's a story absolutely needs to be shared and the world needs to, to understand what, what happened. And we need to rebuild. It's, it's, it's really important work that you're doing. So tell us th- about your organization. It has quite a long name, as I recall you telling me <laughs> earlier. <laughs> the official name is that we are the descendants of, of Drohovich, Borislav, and vicinity. So we also incorporate uh, some villages around Drohovich and Borislav. Just a bit of background for those of you who don't know. 
the original Jews came to that area in about the 15th century, and they were drawn there by the discovery of salt. Uh, there were salt mines in the area, and that was the main industry of that time, salt. Hmm. Later on in the, in the mid-19th century, in approximately 1840, 1850, oil was discovered. And in fact, Jews were involved in the first experiments in distilling oil, raw oil and producing petroleum products. Really? And so Borislav, over quite a long period of probably about 75 years, developed a very large industry where the wells were, where the production was done. And Drohovich became more the sort of the financial center and the administrative center for the companies that ran these, this oil industry. Wow. And of course, it attracted a lot of Jews uh, who, found, who found work in the area because mm -hmm. the late 19th century for Jews and most of the Pale of Settlement, for example, was very, very harsh mm -hmm. and uh, they had very difficult lives. Mm -hmm. and, and this was a, a bit of a, a center of wealth and of, of economic boom. And as I said, the numbers grew and grew until just before the war, there were nearly 30,000 uh, Jews living in the area. Wow. Amazing. So, so Borislav, as I said, was the production area. And today, if you visit there, there are still some wells that are working wells that are still operating there. And in fact, Borislav at one point had the third largest oil production in the world. Uh, so big companies like Shell and British Petroleum started investing in the area as well. So there was a large interest in that area, especially, of course, when Germany invaded the region in 1942 during the war. They needed that oil for their, for their war, the war machine. This is an amazing story. I had no idea. I'm sure many listeners had no idea. So how is it right. then? So what happened then? Uh, was it World War One, the collapse of the Habsburg Empire? Uh, how is it that... That was the third largest oil production center in the world, and now you know we're getting um, oil from OPEC, and we're uh, this right. terrible. Uh, you're in the middle of it. Uh, the the Middle East conflict's <laughs> been going on for decades and decades, and you know we're we're squabbling right. here in the Canada and the States over oil and pipelines and things like that. And and this right. the, <laughs> this is the first I've heard of it. It's amazing. <laughs> what a story! Yeah. So what's going well, on now with it now? Is it just closed down? Well, it has declined a lot. The economy uh, in Ukraine generally has declined. But that particular area where the oil was basically, I guess, either overpumped or, you know, there were just limited reserves. And by the 1940s, oil production had dropped, although it was still high. It was no longer, as I said, the third largest. It was probably much smaller in production. Oh, I see. And uh, a lot of these big companies had come in and taken over production. And in fact, Jews who were living there, a lot of them lost their jobs. There was very high unemployment during the 1930s and early 40s because of some of these big production companies had come in and taken over. So yeah. some stories just never change over time, do they, Dave, <laughs> in history? <laughs> so your, your organization then is based in Tel Aviv? Well, we're based in Israel, yes. We have a, a very active website. Uh, if you look on Google for Drohovich Borislav, you'll find our website, which is in Hebrew and in English. And we have a really a large online archive of a lot of the stories of the survivors, of their families, books that were written, a lot of film interviews that we've done, a lot of the roots trips that we've done over the years we've recorded and are on there. And it is a, it is a source of tremendous uh, value and information 
for any family of that area that wishes to research their roots. Indeed, and for anybody just interested in this utterly fascinating story, and it's only one of many that are are going on uh, right now. As I'm finding out doing this this series, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage, on our show, there's, there's it's wonderful to see this interest and to see this reconnection of the two communities that outside forces have been working so hard to keep apart. So congratulations on the work on this restoration project um, of the synagogue, and hopefully some listeners will have a chance to actually go and see it and uh, and learn right. about it and see it firsthand. Thank you so much for joining us, for sharing this story, Dave. Good luck in your work, and again, tell us where to find you online. So it's uh, it's Drohovich dash Borislav, www.drohovich, which is D-R-O-H-O-B-Y-C-Z, dash Borislav, that's B-O-R-Y-S-L-A-W dot org. And on that menu, you can choose either the English or the Hebrew version. And basically, if you go to the section in English under Knowing, there's a menu there of books and of uh, documentations that we've done over the years. And then there's a section on route trips and there's galleries. There's a lot of information in there. Okay. And the, you'll find the Facebook page the same, Dorhobich dash Boroslav as well. Okay. We have an active uh, Facebook group. We have a Facebook page with several thousand people connected on that. And it is on a daily basis being updated. And people are welcome to join that if they're, if they're interested in following our activities. Awesome. And I thank you, Paulette, for giving me the opportunity of telling this, the story of our communities. And it is just a microcosm of many, many other communities that, that existed in Galicia and in Poland and Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. We're just a very small microcosm of that, of that much larger story. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you once again, Dave, for coming on, sharing your story, and all the best in your work, and hope our paths cross someday soon. Absolutely. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ukrainian Jewish Heritage is brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. To find out more about their work, visit their website and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Transcripts and audio files of this and earlier broadcasts of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage are available at their website, ukrainianjewishencounter.org, as well as at the Nasholos website, www.nasholos.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.